York City's home to famous art collections, like the ones at the Met and MoMA. But there's something to be said about art that blends into the world around us. Here in New York City, art can be found pretty much around every corner and even down the steepest set of stairs. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're exploring art scenes that live on our streets and in our underground. From large murals that adorn the sides of buildings to mosaics that help to beautify the subway system. And that's where we begin this morning. On the phone with me now is Sandra Bloodworth. She's the director of the MTA Arts and Design Program and co-author of the book, New York's Underground Art Museum. Sandra, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Good morning, George. How are you? Very good, thank you. Now, here is this great new book that I have in my hands, New York's Underground Art Museum. And in fact, New York does in fact have an art museum underground, doesn't it? It certainly does. An incredible one and probably the largest in the world. Why is art in the subway system important? Having art in the subway really sends the message that this is that someone cares about your journey. And it's not only caring, it's what it does to that journey. It takes and transforms this experience into travel into a something special. How long is that history here in New York City installing artwork in the subway system? Well, that depends how you count it. If you go to back to the beginning in 1904 when the subway opened, uh, the planners had included extra sort of amenities, which were ornamentation, and they actually some of the most beautiful arts and crafts terracotta of the time, and it's still there today. Um, wonderful plaques and mosaics, and then and we we like to consider that that was really the first art program. And many years later, in 1985, we once again started commissioning and bringing art into the subway as we rebuilt the system. And that's when the MTA Arts and Design Program came about? In 1985. How many permanent artworks are there in the subway? Installed now, and we're also talking about Metro North and Long Island Railroad and One Bridges and Tunnels Project, and we have over 250 works that are included in the book, and we are commissioning constantly. We have another 50 projects that are in the works uh, to be installed in the future. How varied are the works in place now? Well, in some ways they're extremely diverse, but they have one thing in common, which is that they are very durable. Uh, they're diverse in materials. They're diverse in styles. They're diverse in, in the types of work artists do. But each and every one is made of either mosaic or bronze or glass, a very permanent material. The underground is a harsh environment. It has to be durable, huh? That's right. It, it, it's a, a tough environment in a lot of ways, but it also, the work has to stand that test of time. And, and a lot of the materials you will see are materials that have been in the system from day one. What would you say are among the most imaginative pieces? Well, they're, you know, they're so diverse and varied, but of course, I have to look at the most recent, which is Fulton that we just opened, and it's certainly imaginative, but that's not to say all the projects throughout the system. If you go out on the West End line in Brooklyn, you will encounter some fabulous uh, 
works in glass by artists like Portia Munson or The Bees at Ninth Avenue by Chris Russell. Uh, just at 20th Street, uh, Donald, Donald Odelia Dita has wonderful project in glass. Now, some murals in the subway system are only visible while riding the train, right? If you're talking about DeKalb Avenue, that is true. Mass Transiscope, which was a, a project that actually existed prior to Arts for Transit existing, um, a project done in the early 80s with the Creative Time. Um, and it was it, the project had sort of gone away, but we revitalized it uh, several times over the years, and it's now in our permanent collection. And that's uh, at Bill Brand at Mass Transiscope at DeKalb Avenue in the tunnels. I'm a fan of Jane Dixon's work in the Times Square station, those life-size figures in the walls with hats, horns, and other items for celebration. Very cool piece. Yes, I, that is a phenomenal piece. Jane's work really captures Times Square. It captures the experience of traveling through there on any day. And at the same time, it really reminds you of that celebration that happens once a year there. Also featured in your book, the lovely mosaics at the 81st Street stop, the Museum of Natural History stop. After all, who doesn't love animals on a wall? Uh, that's just an incredible project. We want you to experience the museum as you step off the train. So when you're in the subway station, you're really getting a little preview of what you're going to see as you encounter uh, the various exhibits in the museum. What is the largest single artwork commissioned under the program? I would have to say the Sky Reflector Net at Fulton that we just opened. Mm -hmm. The brand new one. Yes, which was uh, created by James Carpenter Design Associates, Grimshaw Architects, and Arup. Talk to me a little bit, Sandra, about the planning process. When you're developing a new station like that or refurbishing a station, what you think about when it comes to planning art? Well, from from the beginning, we really take the list of what projects, what stations the MTA is is rehabilitating, and that's where we begin. We work with the communities. We work with, uh, we do our our. Uh, we look at the project, working with the architects and engineers, and we have a panel process by which we have arts professionals with community input select. Out of a, we do a call to artists. We start with a large number of artists. We bring it down to four artists that create proposals, and they then from there we select one project that is then fabricated and created and installed in the station. Who would you say is the most well-known artist featured in the subway system? Well, you know, we we call it an underground museum, art museum for a reason. There are so many very well-known and also emerging, and that's one of the wonderful diverse things about it. It's it's all ranges of artists from various walk, various stages in their career. Uh, if you'd like, uh, if I, maybe a name dropper a little bit would be Saul Lewitt. Elizabeth Murray, Al Held, Roy Lichtenstein. Would you like me to go on? Go a couple more. Go ahead. Oh, I, you know, I, I think the beautiful thing about this is the work from the emerging artist speaks in its way an equal value to our writers. And that's what's so, so very wonderful is that as you go out in the community, each work in its own way. Uh, and Andrea Dezzo at Lehman College, what a phenomenal work that is to speak to the people traveling through that station. That's really the beauty of the program. 
I know that Milton Glaser, the gentleman who developed the I Heart New York symbol, is represented in the subway system, too. Yes, at Astor Place. And that's one of the very early projects that we did, the restoration of Astor Place. People are often rushing to and from their destinations on the subway. There's no question about that, Sandra. Do you think the art underground sometimes gets lost in commuters' daily shuffles? Well, you know, I I never hear that. What I hear is, in fact, I, I was reading it on Instagram, if you go hashtag Fulton Center, the people talking about really stopping their journey to stand below the Fulton Center and to be there and and to really experience it, you know, and to see the art. What piece of art in the subway system speaks to you most? Oh, man, you know, I can't answer that. Every one of them is, in its own unique way, speaks to us and and speaks to different people. For me, to take one would be like saying, which is my favorite child? I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you are originally from Mississippi, right? I am. Did you pick that up? I did, in the accent, just a little bit. What sensibility, Sandra, would you say you bring from the South when it comes to putting artwork in the subway system? Wow, that's a tough one. I, I, I would just say that it's more that I come from the background of an I am an artist myself. And I think the fact that bringing that sort of visual background to the administration of it is, is unique to some degree. I do think coming from the South and, and being um, a people person is also critical when you're creating artwork that's for people. Um, I think that's part of the mix. How exciting was it for you to put this book together? Uh, well, this is the sec- second edition, so it was very exciting the first time and equally exciting as we added 100 new projects. You know, turning people on who might not have ever visited the subway system to see this artwork and inspire them to, to come visit. I think what happens when you look at the book is that people become, even though they think they've seen a lot of the artwork, they really don't realize the scope and scale of it until they're looking at it all in one place. And then I think they're they're really amazed that we've created uh, this major collection of artworks that's for the public, for the people. And a great way to develop your own itinerary, if you will, spend a Saturday or Sunday morning just traversing the subway system and taking it all in in person. Sounds like a great day to me. Sandra, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That was Sandra Bloodworth. She's the director of the MTA Arts and Design Program and the co-author of the book, New York's Underground Art Museum. The book is out from Monticelli Press. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. Well, we've already talked about New York City's literal underground art scene. So now let's focus on art that's visible in the light of day, but sometimes still considered underground. In his new book, Outdoor Gallery, photographer Yoav Litvin documents street art of all styles. He's traversed most of the city for his book. Yoav, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So what inspired you to document New York street art? Uh, Well, first of all, I grew up in New York uh, back in the 80s when all the trains were completely bombed with tags and beautiful uh, productions as well. But specifically, when I moved back to New York six years ago, I uh, about two years later, I got injured in a squash game. 
And uh, I was very uh, athletic at that point and uh, very much into it. And it pretty much rendered me incapable of doing any kind of sports. So I decided what I'm going to do instead of um, being depressed at home is I'm going to walk everywhere. And um, just uh, street art and graffiti just came out of nowhere and I just started noticing it. Whereas before I didn't notice it was there, but I didn't notice it. And I would walk about 15, 20 miles a day on weekends. And then I just decided, hey, might as well take a camera with me. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. You said street art and graffiti separately. What separates street art from graffiti? Right. Uh, So these are kind of two schools of outdoor art. Graffiti is uh, uh, letters. Okay, that's kind of the easiest definition Uh, in a variety of formats, starting from tags all the way to different kinds of styles that have developed uh, here in New York and in other places in the U.S. and the world. Uh, But if I had to define graffiti, it would be letters. And then street art is more abstract. Uh, It could be anything. So it could be uh, typography or it could be just abstract shapes, forms. And then also um, graffiti is typically more uh, done with uh, freehand spray paint, whereas street art, there's a variety of ways. It could be freehand spray paint, house paint, stickers, uh, pastes. Graffiti is also more typically illegal. Street art is sometimes illegal. Right. Uh, well, the legal and illegal both are sometimes... Le- uh, graffiti is more stigmatized, let's put it this way, especially here in New York City. There's a history of that. Uh, and street art, I find, is uh, more kind of neighborhood friendly. So a lot of people, even if it's done illegally, accept it more than graffiti. So some of yeah. the work featured in your book is illegal. Much of the work is illegal, yes. A lot of the pastes that you see in the book and, of course, the graffiti pieces, but on the other hand, there are graffiti pieces that are legal. So somebody who owns a building, uh, the artist approaches that the owner, and the owner agrees to it, so it's a legal piece. So you went around the city photographing street art and graffiti. Right. And then you tracked down the artists? Right. So it was, it was, it's, it was a natural kind of process. So I, at the same time that I was taking these pictures, I also got onto Instagram, which is kind of the social media of choice of visual artists, I find. And I started, I'm, I'm a scientist by trade, so uh, I'm very kind of meticulous, and I wanted to give credit to each artist that I took a picture of their work. And very quickly, people would get onto my feed and tag that artist. And then I would start noticing those artists more and more. And then I'd follow them, and then I'd go to shows where they were exhibiting actual canvases, and then kind of, uh, you know, I had this idea of documenting, which um, surprisingly I found that there's no real current uh, document of the scene here in New York City. So I was, uh, with, my, with my background and training, I, I had a feeling, a strong feeling that I could do it. Um, and that's how I just approached the artists, talked to them, interviewed them. Most of them work under pseudonyms, right? Right, correct. So, um, um a lot of them I still don't know their real names. So it was kind of this uh, um, very careful relationships that I had to form so they felt safe enough because uh, some of them are afraid of uh, getting caught by the police. I would imagine many of them have in their history of doing street art in New York City. Right, right, correct. So may, some of them are even on probation. Uh, so they definitely um, tread very carefully uh, with somebody that they don't know. So slowly I had to build their trust over 
months and years, and finally they were like, okay, this guy's cool. We can work with him. Have you found that most street artists are men, or are there many women out there as well? Yeah, there are many, uh, there are many women out there. Uh, typically, uh, uh, I feel that it's, it, was, it was a male-dominant kind of... Uh, the graffiti world was, was male-dominant, even, even though there were uh, female graffiti artists from the beginning. But it was male-dominant, especially, I feel, because of the illegality of it and the criminalization of it. Um, but nowadays, um, and in the book, you see many women featured doing graffiti, classic graffiti and street art. And um, yeah, so the, so it's, I, I don't know to say in percentage-wise, but many, many women. What is their main motivation? Is there a common theme? You know, I feel um, I, I, it's very hard to say. And that's why I also, um, I feel that Outdoor Gallery is, is, is kind of a document that shows the diversity. So I'm very careful to pigeonhole, uh, and I feel that the motivations are, there's so many different motivations. Uh, I can say kind of generally that they want to share their art with the public, and I feel that the traditional art establishment doesn't allow that uh, for many reasons, um, but, you know, there o- there's always a middleman or woman, you know, uh, kind of curate the curator who uh, serves as... Um, I don't know, a barrier between the artist and the public because the curator decide what, what's, what goes into the um, gallery or museum. And in this way, you kind of skip that into a more democratic uh, form of displaying your art. Uh, with that said, uh, your piece can be down within an hour even. So it's a risk. How much of what you documented in this book is now gone, removed, painted over, or simply vandalized? I'd say most of it is gone. Yeah, and that's another reason that I I felt that I really wanted to document it is because it's here and then it's gone. And a lot of people just do not get exposed to it. And I feel that a book form uh, is such a great way to document uh, street art. Whereas, you know, museum books are great, but they don't have the same, I feel, urgency as something like this does. Do some of these artists see their street art as a gateway to get into a gallery or a museum? Yes, definitely. I mean, especially the ones who just do art, they definitely want to succeed, and they have to make enough money to to live. Uh, So a lot of them do street art and also work in galleries, and some of them, uh, there's there's kind of this stigmatization of uh, street artists who nowadays, at least, after it's become kind of um, approaching the mainstream, use it as a gateway to the gallery uh, setting. But honestly, I, I, I feel that uh, that's a minority. A lot of them, most of them do it because it's their passion. And uh, they just, that's how they communicate their art. How did you go about choosing which artists to include in this book? So um, I really set a goal for myself to try to do it in an unbiased way uh, as much as possible as a human. Uh, we all have some kind of bias. But so what I did was I really walked around a lot. And, all five boroughs? Except Staten Island. Okay. So, but yeah. <laughs> Forgotten Staten Island. For, exactly. Yeah. I feel kind of bad when everybody, when somebody asks me all five boroughs. It's, um, Staten Island is uh, just so far. But uh, yeah. So I walked all f- four out of five boroughs and... Um, 
I try to really kind of capture the artists who I've, I saw the most. And then I just contacted them. And um, most of them were really interested uh, to participate. Some just weren't and yeah, for different reasons. But that's how I kind of went about it, trying to really capture the streets. Now, this is radio, of course. We can't see the images in this book. So why don't you go ahead and describe some of the work in this book and how varied it all is, because it is very varied. Right. So there's, there's, it's, it's amazing. Um, there are different techniques. There are different uh, messages. And like you said, different motivations for the artist to do work. So some, for example, let's start with classic graffiti. You can see letters in different styles. Uh, you could see a uh, Cope 2 does a burner style, for example, which is typical for the Bronx. And then he, uh, there's a throw-up. That's another way of, uh, that's kind of a quick way of, uh, of um, tagging. Uh, and then there's um, just uh, different forms of tagging. So that's graffiti, for example. And then uh, you see street art, which is done by, use, by using stencils, for example, freehand spray paint, uh, stickers, original pieces that are then uh, pasted up on buildings. So it's really, uh, it's, uh, and, and also the artwork itself. Um, you see uh, figures, you see totally abstract images, you see letters, like I said. So, What piece in the book is your favorite? You know, there's so many, really. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm evading the question, but <laughs> there are really so many amazing pieces. Some pieces are uh, political, which I really love about street art, the political edge that it's got to it by the mere fact that it's illegal. Uh, I, f I find that so much more exciting than, than going to a gallery and that it's free, of course. So there's the political pieces, which I love, and then there's just amazing artistry, which I admire and skill. And then there are also pieces that are done in crazy locations where you have to admire the athleticism of, of the artist who uh, got up somewhere where there's high visibility, but actually uh, it was very dangerous to, to get to that spot. So I admire that as well. What would you say was the biggest eye-opener for you in doing this project? Someone who simply walked around admiring, photographing this street art, but then really getting this behind-the-scenes look by talking to the artists? Um, I, I, I have to say that the street art, quote-unquote, scene um, is, is, uh, has just been incredible. And um, the amount of sharing that is uh, kind of inherent within this uh, art scene versus what I feel the traditional art establishment, which is... M it's so different. It's really just worlds apart. I participated in this panel at FIT a, a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about the art market, and I sat down with a bunch of uh, the curator and the art critic and just traditional art establishment folk, and it was just amazing how different uh, these worlds are. You know, uh, Even just discussing the fact that uh, graffiti or street artist goes to an abandoned location and produces art for nobody but themselves and spend hours and days doing it, it seemed like a completely bizarre concept to these traditional art establishment folk. So it's really been um, amazing to see these artists and how devoted they are and how uh, to, to their craft and also to sharing with other people. Are you still documenting? Are you still walking the streets of New York City taking photographs? 
Yeah, definitely. It's kind of a, become a way of life. Um, and like I said, with Instagram, it's really this kind of global community of street art and uh, street art fans. So I have friends by now in every continent. You know, there's scenes in South America, in Europe, in Asia, and, and here, of course, in the United States. It's, it's really kind of, a, kind of a worldwide trend. So on Instagram, I feel that uh, it's kind of you're with friends and you're sharing things. And it's not even so much about documenting for a project. It's just a way of life. Every day, one or two posts uh, and just commenting to each other and talking about the pieces. It's, it's really kind of a social network. I understand you also see a philanthropic side to street art. What is the philanthropic side to street art? Well, there's several. There's first of all, there's NGOs who actually work with communities to uh, improve the the, the the community and um, kind of an urban beautification. Uh, I also see, like I said, the political aspect to it, which kind of battles the onslaught of advertisements that we're exposed to uh, without our permission, right? So corporations um, nowadays, the subways even have have uh, commercials on them. And I find street art and graffiti kind of a positive, radical force that reminds um, us urban dwellers that it's kind of, graffiti for me is kind of like a blooming flower that's fighting this uh, ever-expanding corporatization and and concrete urban world. Uh, So every time I see a street art piece, um, it makes me feel, makes me feel great, like smelling a flower. uh, And, and... It's even it's even amazing just going um, to Europe or other locations and seeing a piece by an artist that I know, because automatically I feel a little bit at home. Do you hear from the property owners who don't like the street art, who have to clean it off their buildings, who say, you know what, you are glorifying these people and they are defacing public property? Sure, there's always that uh, kind of uh, argument, and as a as a documenter, I have the privilege of not really, uh, I'm just documenting, so I don't have to really get into the debate, but I, I, I am a very kind of, I like debating. Um, you know, yes, of course, there's that problem, and um, I find that there is some middle ground that can be found between uh, just saying that it's complete defacement and, vandal- and vandalization of property and glorifying it. Um, on the other hand, there um, street artists actually uh, put out work that is illegal, and I find that that is the one of the greatest qualities of it. So I kind of want it to stay illegal in some respects. It would it, dilute it too much if it were illegal, you think, huh? Exactly. If, for example, there were blocks that were designated street art zones. Things like that have, have been attempted, um, and, and I'm totally for it to like work on these kinds of things but there's this quality of the illegal piece which doesn't uh, you know doesn't adhere to any law any rule the artist just does what he or she wants to conveys a message that is unfiltered and nothing beats that for me so that being said do you think some of the artists wouldn't be open to doing pieces legally. I mean, there's something about the illegality that really drives them. They like that. It, it gives them an opportunity. Yes, exactly. Uh, but like you said, some uh, a lot of the artists, um, they do want to get into a gallery. So a lot of the artists do both in parallel. They continue doing their illegal street works, 
and then they also do works for a gallery, and it, it works really nicely, I feel, because then uh, it promotes their work, their unfiltered work, but on the other hand, there are galleries nowadays that are finally picking up on this street art uh, trend and displaying works that are very uh, provocative and interesting. All right. Yo, have anything about outdoor gallery or street art that I didn't ask you that you'd want to add? I could literally talk for hours about uh, this this really global trend. I, I just want people to open their eyes and take notice of it and uh, look for these artists and respect them and promote them and uh, I think uh, it's very important in our in our society. Yoav, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. That was photographer Yoav Litvin. His book, Outdoor Gallery, is out now from Ginkgo Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter for show updates and New York City tidbits. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Taylor Nolk. Have a great weekend. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.